completely and to accept the reality of impermanence and no separate self. And in doing so, at any moment, can we transform the samsara in that moment to nirvana? During aspects, we hope to explore and penetrate the guidelines given to us by Ehe Dogen, the Buddha, various other ancestors, and our own contemporary teachers. Our topic for aspects. is guidelines for studying the way. In Japanese, it's called Gakudo Yoshinshu. Gako means to study, to learn, or to pursue. Do means the truth. Yojin means warning, pointer, or pieces of advice. And shu means collection. Therefore, Gakado Yoshinshu literally means a collection of pointers for pursuing the way. So all of us during the next six weeks will be uh, sharing in separate pointers, separate tips, separate bits of wisdom to help us in study the way and to awaken. So I wanted to give a little bit of history uh, to put this in content, context, um, our Soto Zen founder in Japan, Ehei Dogen, uh, returned to Japan after five years in China in 2028. 20, uh, During the first couple of years, he stayed at Kaninji Monastery, where he practiced in the Tendai tradition with his teacher, Miozen, prior to coming to China. But in, 20, in 1233, he founded his own monast monastery, Kashoji, in, in, in Fukakusa near Kyoto. The Gakudo Yoshinshu was written in the following year, 1234. Gogen, Dogen Zenji's Dharma successor, Koen Enjo, joined his Sangha at this time. So it is, it is believed that. Um, he wrote the Gakudo, the Gakudo was first written for his students when he uh, developed a, a population of monks to study with him at Kashoji. And these were guide, literally guidelines for the practice of the monks in the monastery. Also, it, it's, it's, then said that these, this was not written as one continuous piece, that the pieces were assembled and compiled separately from talks that Dogen had given. And then he wanted to put them together in a, in a um, thoughtful sequence um, to be able to more coherently and co uh, present this kind of teaching. So the main emphasis of this study is to focus on seeing impermanence and arousing Bodhi mind or Bodhicitta. Seeing impermanence is the foundation of Dogen's teaching. And as he said in uh, the Zui Monkey, Vasakola and Shobogenzo, impermanence is a very concrete reality we encounter every day 
right before our eyes. No one can deny it. When we think of our life, we cannot neglect it. Seeing impermanence, impermanence is, the, is the starting point of our journey in seeking the way. Shohaku Okamura says, because truly recognizing that essential, that it's essential to realizing a permanence is the recognition of no self or letting go of clinging to our ego and small self. Facing impermanence brings about the existential crisis focus that wakes us up. Human beings cannot, cannot live without ego. We have ego. We need to have ego to get through our daily life, our small ego. Yet ego is the main cause of delusions preventing us from seeing things as they are or how it is. As long as our lives are based solely on our ego, they become narrow. This word solely, um, I was looking at Sojin's notes and he, he underlined solely. We have, to, we have to base our lives somewhat on our, our healthy psycho psychological ego but we can't base our lives solely on our ego, he says. They become narrow. Big ego makes it difficult to live in harmony with others, but we also need a healthy ego. So how can we deal with it? So I'm gonna go through um, this study and um, use some references. Uh, we, we, uh, I sent out three different translations and I'm gonna use uh, some, uh, some of those uh, different uh, ways of looking at things and also try to bring it home <laughs> and real. So looking at the first exhortation and causes translation of the Gakudo, you should, Sojin says, need to, instead of should. You should arouse the thought of enlightenment. Sojin notes that there are many names for this, but they all point to one and the same mind. So sometimes, sometimes this is called the mind of enlightenment. Sometimes this is called bodhishin or awakened heart mind. Sometimes it's called doshin truth heart and mind or way mind. Some people refer to it as bodhishin, aspiration for Buddhahood or awakening, bodhicitta, one of our favorites, awakening mind or awakened mind. And so Jin Roshi just called this way seeking mind. They all point to the same thing. So way-seeking mind, thought of enlightenment, aspiration to awaken. This is what this first section of the Gakudo is all about. The second line offers some different translations of the teaching of Nagarjuna, our 14th century ancestor, uh, not 14th ancestor, from the second and third century in his from his fundamental work on the middle way, which is the basis for our Mahayana school, 
provides much of the basis. So there are various ways um, that he talks about this. Ka says, Nagarjuna says, the mind that fully sees into the uncertain world of birth and death is called the mind of enlightenment. Okamura says, arousing Bodhi mind, the mind that solely, there's that, there's that phrase again, solely sees the impermanent of this world. The constant appearance and disappearance is called Bodhi mind. Nishijima, a more contemporary translator says, establish the will to the truth, a mind that reflects only upon the inconstancy of the secular world as it appears and disappears. This may also be called the will to truth. So all of these are, are stressing for us moment to moment, every moment teaching is there, every moment, whether it's transiency in our minds, transiency around us, transiency in our bodies, it's not something we have, we should have to work to work to do. All we have to do is be there, be fully present. The, the, the study continues. Thus, if we maintain this mind, again, Sojin underlines the word maintain. If we maintain this mind, the mind that solely sees impermanence. This mind can become the thought of enlightenment. And when you understand discontinuity, which could also be called impermanence or transiency, the notion of self does not come into being. Idea, ideas of fame and name and fame do not arise. So there seems to be a sequence here, a recommendation. The sequence is be focusing the mind on seeing impermanence, then maintaining the mind, focusing the mind solely on the big mind that sees the ultimate reality of impermanence and dependent co-arising. And remind ourselves, remind ourselves, have some post it on your computer screen. <laughs> Wake up right now, pay attention. <laughs> That's mine, I need that a lot. Pay attention, pay attention. And we can't just do this and, and this teaching says, we, you know, it, this is not a passive thing, right? This is not some uh, unfeeling, uh, uh, tedious experience. We're urged to not waste time, to have some urgency. We're missing it. We're missing our opportunity to be free. We're, we're, we're missing opportunities to be awake if we're not there and we're not paying, paying attention. And we should do it with a sense of urgency, like our hair is on fire. There's one line that says, practice with the zeal of the Buddha of old, standing on tiptoe for seven, for seven days. I guess that's that's a little harder than sitting under the Bodhi tree <laughs> for a week. I don't know how many Buddhas of old 
had did that, but um, his, but in mythology, Aboda did that. I'm going to stay here till I wake up. I don't care. I'm going to, and I'm going to go to Sashin and I'm going to do the whole Sashin. Maybe I'm going to do seven days of Sashin. Maybe I'm going to do a monastery. I'm going to do it and do it and do it till I wake up. So that kind of um, sense of purpose and commitment. The other tip, these pointers, right? Pointers to awakening. That's what this is all about. We're cautioned, he, uh, Dogen ca cautions us that we should not be distracted by beautiful birds, music, beautiful faces, sexual desire. It sounds like Mara. Mara, should, we should not allow, allow Mara to come as she did when Buddha was sitting and tempt us with fame and gain and distracted by uh, sensory experiences. He says, just let the sensory experience aroused by those phenomena wash over us without failing, falling into desire or attachment. So we, we can happily listen. We're invited to happily listen, to happily feel, to happily taste, but not get hooked on it. Early in the sashin, ice cream really was great. <laughs> Every I, I found that every night um, after a day of just what's going to happen today, this impermanence, I can't deal with this impermanence. There was a permanence of ice cream. Uh, at, in the evening, I sit down and I savor a, a Haagen-Dazs coffee ice cream bar with chocolate. Doesn't that sound great? And I... I, I actually did get attached to it. <laughs> and, I, and I noticed that and I thought, okay, it's okay to have an ice cream bar, but, you're, but not okay to have to have an ice cream bar. <laughs> so then I thought, well, okay, I, I, I can see with that. And once I had that thought, um, I still had ice cream bars, but um, not always. And, uh, and I wasn't looking forward to them <laughs> all evening <laughs> so I could get through the evening. So we, can't, we, can, we can have these sensations, we can listen to music, we can taste something, we can have a pleasant experience, uh, but don't get pulled away from paying attention. Don't let it distract you because it's really important for us, even in times of stress and strain to be present. So th there's a whole section that follows in this Gakado in which Dogen does what I, I always am amused to read. He, he always has to um, uh, cast aspersions on other people's, other ways that people practice. And, and he has to outline, and here he has to outline them. We're not to, we're not to follow these others. Um, and he says, um, he says, uh, Buddhist, Buddhist students of old and old schools of Buddhism fall short on these instructions to wake up and pay attention to impermanence and fall into the pit of fame and profit. <laughs> Wouldn't want to be falling into the pit of fame and profit. And he, he opines, how sad, what a pity, 
how regrettable. Those guys just don't get it. That's my thing. That's not, that's my part. <laughs> Those guys just don't get it. And then he goes on about the guys who don't get it, um, which is interesting. So he says, some of these people who study the scriptures say the thought of enlightenment is the mind of the supreme perfect enlightenment, ultimate awakening. And just by, by aspiring to something called the supreme, they want, it, they want to get to the supreme ultimate he says, do not be concerned with the cultivation of fame and profit. Okamura says, this statement is not wrong, but, but Dogen criticized those who use it as an excuse for having a desire for fame and gain. In the Okamura translation, he says, we hear of those who had heard of the teaching seen a little of the sutra, most have fallen into the pit of fame and profit and have lost the life of the Buddha way forever. Some of them, he says, say that the thought of enlightenment is, in, is the insight that each thought contains 3,000, which is 3,000 realms, which is the uh, essential uh, teaching of the Tendai school that he was part of for most of his early practice. Practice practitioners, he says, spend their time studying these. Dogen's asserting that this is not the way to cultivate Bodhi mind. In Zen, we do talk about the six realms of existence. We, we study them sometimes. The lower three lower realms, hell, hungry ghosts, and animals, and the three upper realms of human, heavenly realm, where the divas reside and the Ashura realm where the Stemi gods arise. But the way we practice with them in Zen, in our Zen practice, is that these are kind of uh, old, uh, archetypes or mood, mood states or arising beings in our mind. Um, we don't study them in terms of memorizing the 3000 names of all the other possible mental realms but we do pay attention to them. So he's saying, it's fine, we pay attention to them, but don't get lost in some esoteric study of trying to, trying to study these 3000 realms. That is not what it, that's not where the, but that's not where the meat is. Then he says, some of them say, the thought of enlightenment is the Dharma gate. Each thought is unborn. This is the teaching of another school, the Kagon school which has a deeply philosophical base, which spends a lot of time studying the most difficult sutras and that not really relating this to life, but more of an academic approach to studying the way. Some of them say the thought of enlightenment is the mind of entering the Buddha realm. That's another school, the Shingong school, criticizing scholars who, who, in all their, who, who study all their sutras and write lofty treatises but didn't pra practice their speech. Their speech is eloquent, but their deeds run against the spirit of the Bodhisattva. This response, I just had the, the memory that when I took a class um, um, at Berkeley um, on 
early Chi or early Chinese Buddhism, um, we would have discussions in the class. We were reading uh, serious texts. And I would always say, but when we practice, um, that, uh, you know, so I would, I would say, but this doesn't sound like how we practice. And the, the teacher looked at me and, and, and then said to the other students, don't listen to her. <laughs> She's a practitioner. <laughs> so, so um, in the in the academic framework, they they weren't they weren't interested in hearing from someone who actually practices every day, and and, and embodies the the teaching and looks to embody the teaching. They were using their heads. It's, it's interesting hearing Sojin Roshi talk about this in his um, in his uh, chapter on be kind to yourself in not always so. He says. We teach, we teach that, is that enlightenment and practice are one, but my first practice was what we call stepladder Zen. I understand this much now. The next year I will understand a bit more. So he's saying stepladder practices, there's some gaining idea about attaining some higher state by, by studying more getting, more, getting more sutras under your belt getting more serious study, getting more difficult practices, adding more and more with a gaining idea, not, not, in, not instinctively or intuitively practicing, but with an eye towards something else. Suzuki Roshi says that kind of practice doesn't make much sense. I could never be satisfied. If you try stepladder practice, Maybe you'll realize a mistake. And then he says, but that's okay. Because when you make the mistake of gain and thinking, gee, I'm really cool. I read that I can really explain that to somebody or I can give a great talk on it. When you do that, you, you notice if you're paying attention, you notice your ego. And then you say, oh, whoa, <laughs> I'm supposed to be helping others awake. I'm not supposed to be saying, look at me, uh, look at me. Um, Sojin, I remember talking to Sojin sometimes about some very enthusiastic students that came to BZC. And they were um, always doing very um, uh, exaggerated forms. So they have their their arms up like this, and they bow in this very exaggerated way because they'd been to Tassajara, or they or they'd been to some other monastery, and they were gonna they were gonna come and they were gonna show they could really do the forms. They really knew what they were saying. And Sojin, I mentioned that to Sojin once, and he said, "Well, that's just macho Zen." He said, "A lot of guys, young people who go to." Tassajara get all excited about being a monk and want to be kind of and look at the Japanese model and they kind of adopt the Japanese model um, and then they want to they want to show that they've adopted it <laughs> so instead of wanting to show the forms for example like we do in the temple when we're eating and we're sitting next to somebody who um, maybe is new and they don't know the forms right you don't want to show them how great you do the forms you want to show, you want to do it with them slowly, pay attention to what they can do, pay attention to what they're doing and trying to gently 
make them feel comfortable while they set out their bowl and their setsu and, and how they learn how to hold their bowls and eat. Or if you, if you do zazen instruction, you don't demonstrate in, in a very overt show-offy way, you just do it very carefully. In fact, you know, just go, again, gently making sure you tell people, some people can do it this way, some people can't do it that way, here's another way. We want you to be able to wake up with us. We want you to be able to, to feel comfortable. We want to be able to give you the compassion and, and notice you, but we don't wanna be showing off we don't want to be wanting to gain some kind of special status in their minds and showing the new people how cool we are. I remember talking to, um, having a conversation when I used to facilitate the uh, 20s, 30s group, and we were talking about no gain and no fame and humility. And one young woman confessed that, you know, she just thought practice was so cool. And she wanted to impress her friends. And then she was always telling her friends about what she'd done at the Zen Center. And she said, I guess that's not right. <laughs> maybe, maybe I, maybe that's not. Maybe, oh, I see, you know. So it was it, there's a temptation, especially for us to get very excited. And um uh and, and when we we're excited, the idea is, what's, what is our goal here? Our goal here is to help people awaken. It's the focus is we're with them. We're with them. And when we notice them and we're with them in an activity, we see the oneness and whatever we do then is more skillful rather than the focus on being our practice. And that's, that's really what, uh, what Dogen and Suzuki Roshi said, concentrate on your practice. And that means sitting, watching, feeling, awareness, noticing as much as you can. <laughs> Obviously, uh, it's always as much as we can, as much as our, our capacity at that time. Some people can't sit that long. Some people can sit a shorter time, but we, we dedicate ourselves to that practice. And in doing that, we're giving ourselves away to the practice, not gaining anything. So after this section of criticizing everybody, Dogen goes back and reiterates the core message. The enlightened mind is the mind that sees into impermanence and is not confused by all these ideas and academic musings by confused people. All this is fine to do to broaden your knowledge, but do it only after arousing the thought of enlightenment. This should he, and then again, Sojin underlined in the book, that I it, we had noticed notations. This should not be mistaken. I also remember here when I, and I think I shared this at one of the all sangha meetings, that I when I was practicing, especially in the first five years, I was very excited. I just loved it, and I thought, well, if I love it at Green Gulch, I'll love it at City Center. 
And if I love it as city center, maybe I'll go internationally someplace. And if I love it there, maybe I'll, you know, go do some other related esoteric practice. So I ran around. Uh, it's like the, it's like the, it's like the, what he described as the bird tweeting over here, you know, and the, and the, and the pretty face over there. I, all these things sounded like, um, like they would help me in my practice and they would be part of my practice. And I was so, it was so great. And then Sojin gave me, gave me one of his looky here talks in Dokusan and said, Jerry, you've been running around a lot. <laughs> All those fun things you've been doing are great. It's great to go to here or there and study Hindu healing and do all these things. He said, but what you need to do is sit right down here. Then after you really get it, then you can go back and have all those wonderful experiences. And that was, a prof that was actually a profound turning moment for me. It was like, no, don't, to, don't go to Green Gulch on Monday and San Francisco Zen Center on Tuesday. <laughs> Stay at Berkeley Center. Just come to Berkeley Zen Center. Meditate every morning or, or as much as you can. Um, that's your practice. So then Dogen address, addresses that issue. Why are we practicing? Why, you know, we ask ourselves, we have, each one of us asks ourselves, why, why, just why? Dogen tells us, try to reflect on the mind concerned only with your own gain. Does this one thought blend with the nature and attributes of the 3000 realms? Does this one thought realize the Dharma gate of being unborn? There is only the deluded thought of greed for fame and love and gain. There is nothing which could be taken as the thought of enlightenment. So he, he urges us to just forget yourself for now and practice inwardly. It reminds me of the Jewel Mirror Samadhi. Practice like a fool, like an idiot. Practice inwardly like a fool, like an idiot. So when the notion of self arises, sit quietly and contemplate it. Can you find any evidence of a fixed self in your body, psychological processes or psychological processes? Is there some evidence of a fixed self in your breath or your mind? Okamura says, contemplate the mind that is constantly changing, not the impermanence of the mind in the world. Of course, this includes the mind itself, but the mind which sees the impermanence of all phenomena is what we're looking for. So how does this thought of awakening, this bodhicitta arise? I always like to go back to Shanti Deva, an eighth-century Indian Buddhist monk, um, because of the inspiration that I get from him. 
He's very poetic. He writes in verse. And um, he talks about the benefit of, of, the, of the spirit of awakening and, and how do you, and adopting the spirit of awakening. So I thought just uh, as a change of pace, I'd read a few of the verses from Shanti Deva, because to me, they're just beautiful and they're always inspirational. So in terms of the benefits of spiritual awakening, he says, just as lightning illuminates the darkness of a cloudy night for an instant, in the same way, by the power of the Buddha, occasionally people's minds are momentarily inclined toward merit. Then he says, those who long to overcome the abundant miseries of the mundane existence, those who wish to dispel the adversities of sentient beings, and those who yearn to experience a myriad of joys should forsake the spirit of awakening. When the spirit of awakening has arisen in an instant, a wretch who is bound in the prison of the cycle of existence is called the child of the Sugaras and becomes a worthy and becomes worthy of reverence in the work in the worlds of gods and humans. This takes us kind of out of our totally out of out of our uh, mundane and into some other some other realm. But it really it really can to me it kind of gets me out, really out of my, my conventional ways of talking and being and looking at just, just going into these, these verses. From the time that one adopts the spirit with an irreversible attitude for the sake of liberating limitless sentient beings. From that moment on, an interrupted stream of merit equal to the sky constantly arises even when one is asleep or distracted. A well-intentioned person who thinks, I shall eliminate the headaches of sentient beings, meaning he should dedicate himself to save all beings. The, the headaches of sentient beings. I had a lot of headaches during the pandemic too. Bears immeasurable merit. What then of the person who desires to remove the incomparable pain of every single being and endow them with the immeasurable good qualities? Those, those are the benefits of bodhi, bodhicitta. And then he says, with folded hands, I beseech the fully awakened ones in all directions that they may kindle the light of the Dharma for those who fall into suffering owing to confusion. May the virtue that I've acquired by doing all this relieve every suffering of sentient beings. May I be the medicine and the physician for the sick. May I be the nurse until their illness never occurs. With showers of food and drink, may I overcome the afflictions of hunger and thirst. May I become the food and drink during times of famine. Surrendering, every, surrendering everything is nirvana and my mind seeks nirvana. If I must surrender everything, it is better that I give it to sentient beings. So this is the kind of aspiration that we seek. This aspiration to be free. 
and to free everyone. This is the aspiration of arousing the thought of enlightenment, arousing bodhicitta. I started, I, I just thought I'd, I'm very close to the end of my time. So I just thought I'd share um, a few of my own experiences when I first started practicing that, that felt like it, that, that felt like this more poetic, <laughs> more poetic uh, and um, trans, uh, tra uh, just inspirational, the outside of self. I remember when I first walked into uh, Green Gulch, the temple in Green Gulch, at a time in my life was when I was going through a lot of transition and uh, great pain. And I was immediately taken by the feel of the Zendo, by the presence of all of these people sitting quietly It was a ritual with robed priests carrying around an censer, burning incense. There was chanting. There was a beautiful altar with the four elements, fire, earth, water, and air. Everyone was bowing together. I felt taken into this big mind state of, uni of the universal. The ritual transformed my day from, gee, I'm gonna see how cool Green Gulch is, to wow, wow. This is really, there's really something here. When I'm here, I'm joining this, I'm joining this line of ancestors, I'm joining in this ritual being done, having been done, being done, will be done forever. It was very powerful. So it was the hook. <laughs> because of course, after that, it wasn't always like that. Um, it, was, uh, it, it, was, it was hard. It was hard doing sashins and practice periods there. But, but that same feeling that I had there, I also, I also found then in other Zen places, that feeling of oneness, of togetherness, of supporting each other, of recognizing that it's not just me in the Sendo, it's me, it's all of the other people. It's our ancestors sitting together. One time I was um, on one of my trips, on one of my ex explorations in Scotland, I was sitting on a hill um, in, uh, that was supposed to be a chakra point. So I decided to do zazen. I decided to do zazen in all these seven chakra points on the island. I sat there. And all of a sudden I saw BZC, BZC arose. I could see Sojin. I remember seeing Gary Artem, saw some other people I knew. And I looked at my watch 
And I saw that it was Zazen time at Berkeley Zen Center. And I had this kind of experience of this uh, this again joining the ancestors, joining our other people in this practice, and that this Sazen practice was extremely powerful and was something that I really needed to focus on. So that was kind of the inspiration to settle down. When I talked to Sojin about this, and I said, that's kind of synchronicity. How could that be that I had chose to sit down at the moment the VZC was sitting? And he said, synchronicity happens all the time. We just don't know it. It was no accident that you sat at that time. So that's, those are just those kind of high experiences that we sometimes have that people talk about when they're out in the woods where they feel one with, the, one with their environment. They're kind of the, the thing that when we experience them, they, they give us some, an extra boost, but they aren't this practice, right? And so what I had to learn was those, those were not attached to the great experiences I had not attached to them. I had them fine. It was great while it lasted. <laughs> Just like the ice cream. It was great while it lasted, but I had to get down to the hard worker practice, to the, to the, to the aches, to the, to the mind states, to experience uh, physical, mental, whatever, whatever arose and stay with it. So, so I could renew and remember, remember that I'm there. I'm sitting there with my Sangha and I'm sitting there with all beings, with all our ancestors at any time. And there's always that inspiration leading that bodhicitta, that desire to awaken with those beings. So parting words from Suzuki Roshi. He states over and over again throughout his teaching, awakening is not some intricate, complicated effort, nor is it a one-time magical lightning bolt. As he says, and not always so, wherever you are, enlightenment is there. You just have to be present, patient, consistent in your practice to experience what's really there. What's really there is everything. So I hope you will be enjoying the practice period as we together sit and pay attention moment to moment and awaken to everything. Thank you. Okay, we now have some time for some Q&A. Please raise your digital hand in the reactions box or send a message to me in the chat box. We'll wait a few moments for people to gather their questions or comments.
Linda Hess, go ahead and unmute yourself and ask your question. Hi, good morning. Uh, I have two questions. I'll start with one and see if you let me answer, ask the second one as well. Uh, so at one point you said, uh, is there evidence of a permanent self or a lasting self if you, in this kind of practice? And so I, I was just wondering if I have um, repetitive thoughts and I noticed the repetitive thoughts and repetitive behaviors throughout decades of my life. Is that evidence of a lasting self? No, they're they're, because they're not, they're not there all the time, right? They come and go. They're evidence of some conditioning. They're evidence of circumstances and probably they arise again when your experiences are triggered. And then you fall into those states. We all have that, that repetitive thing. It feels like it's us, right? Uh, <laughs> here I go, here I go again. <laughs> here I go again into my uh, afflictive mental, mental states. But they go away. And yeah. They <laughs> so actually, they aren't permanent. Okay, thank you for clearing that up for me. <laughs> really, I mean... I in a way, I, knew I, I really am glad if I did that. <laughs> well, I, I asked the question because of the, along with the repetitive thoughts and behaviors, is the kind of unspoken conviction that this is me, this is me, this is me. Yeah. So that's why I brought the question for you. Yeah. you know, let me ask my second question. Sure. Yeah. So you you said that you um, that the joy of eating the ice cream didn't last, and you had to. You had to do the hard work of practice. So um, that raised the question in my mind that have you ever have you ever found yourself doing the hard work of eating ice cream? Now, actually, that's a real question. Uh, maybe it sounds a little mischievous, but it, it is. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think I, it doesn't mean that I can't totally enjoy that an ice cream bar. It just means that my dependence on the ice cream bar, my, my putting the ice cream bar is something that I have to have in an, a certain way, you know, it becomes ice cream bar addiction. Okay. And, then I, and, and also if I, I notice, and uh, I notice this about a lot of things, when I kind of try to grasp onto a moment, an experience that was great, you know, and you go back to the place where you went, you know, go back to the restaurant, it's going to be just as good. Go back to the place in the woods where you had this wonderful experience. It's not the same experience, right? So you can't always eat the ice cream, you know, so that every time you have an ice cream bar, it's probably different. Yeah. So once you once you get that, yes, then eating an ice cream bar is sitting. Not a problem. Is in the window. Same yeah. thing as sitting, right? Yeah. Yay. <laughs> All right. I'm done. Thank you. <laughs> You're always a pleasure when you ask your questions. Always. Maybe that's my permanent self. Oh well, for me, <laughs> for me, I'm just as my individual self. Just kidding. Maybe not for everyone. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you.
Heather Sarantis, would you like to unmute yourself and ask a question? Yes. Good morning, Jerry. I wonder if um, uh, if you could um, pull me out to the big picture of what we're embarking on. And specifically, I don't think I understand the distinction between a practice period and aspects of practice. And is there something about aspects of practice that you um, that you wish for each of us or the community overall as we embark on this six weeks or so together? Well, on some level, there isn't a difference. Mm -hmm. it, um, in some wet level, um, there is an, a, an aspiration that we all, just by being together in a more intensive way and studying together and experiencing together more frequently, mm -hmm. um, that it brings us uh, more support, more energy. It generates energy for practice. Mm -hmm. um, so people who never had the experience of reading some of these texts or never had the experience of sitting as often or you know or or never had uh, you know they they are exposed to all these as all these aspects if you will of mm -hmm. practice so it's a it's a it's a full boat with everything and in fact we've had to leave out a few things you know bon santi or you know some other things that we that we've done before, or or a five day sashin, but it it we're exploring all of the various ways that we can practice, mm -hmm. and um, and so and 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 we're also exploring a more systematic way of looking at texts because if you just hear a lecture here about this and a lecture there about this, but it's we we include classes but we also include talks about these subjects. And we also include way seeking mind talks about people's experiences of the teaching. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a depth that we don't get. And it can, this whole, whole picture of guidelines for studying the way, we're all in this big container with this teaching. Mm -hmm. And we're shining a light on different aspects of that teaching and different aspects of teaching and of practicing. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Mm -hmm. I often think uh, sometimes when I'm in the Zendo, it feels like an arc. <laughs> you know, one body, we're all caught in this arc and the floating on the seas of the world, you know, the waves come and the waves go, but we do it together. Mm -hmm. And when we come together like this in a formal way and we make a commitment to do that, then we're, we're on this journey together. We, we are not alone. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and of course, that's the most important part of waking up, right? <laughs> yes. Thank you. Sandeep, would you like to unmute yourself and ask a question? Hi, Jerry. Um, I don't have a question. I just really wanted to thank you for your talk. I got a lot out of it. I feel like a lot of seeds were watered and especially because um, you mentioned the 3,000 different worlds. Yes. 
hypotericist esoteric thought i definitely resonated with that i tend i tend to uh spiral there and now i'm learning to kind of hold my energy and my light um and i appreciate our connection thank you <laughs> uh, someone in the in the zendo has a question would you please unmute yourself Hi, Jerry. Hi, Kenpo. <laughs> I had a question, which was, what what happens in the moment when aspiration turns into grasping? We lose ourselves. Then we lose ourselves momentarily. Hmm. So we have to come back. It's just a reminder. We notice it. I mean. When it happens, we know that the, the, the point of, of this study is to be aware when that happens, be aware of your mind state and look at it. Thank you. Guillermo, would you like to unmute yourself and ask your question? Yes, thank you. Uh, uh, in, in my like, practice i often heard the word mind and uh it, and it's always present it's like something that it doesn't change it looks to me like a permanent thing so can we can we can we get rid of of the mind the mind can disappear it disappears at, a, at some point no <laughs> it can transform it can transform we talk about transforming our consciousness. So the, the, we're not interested in not thinking. You know, we're interested in non-thinking. That's a, one, of the, one of the famous koans, right? We're not, having, we're not looking for a blank slate. We're looking for noticing the patterns in our, in our mind, the way our mind works that are causing suffering for ourselves and others. The kind of triggers that happen, the kind of storehouse consciousness triggers that exist waiting for somebody to say something, waiting for something to happen and then bursting out there and there in all their wonderful ways or in horrible ways. That we, we that conditioning, the, the way that the mind, the ego mind, Manas works to say, this is me. Hey, look at me. I'm here. I'm here. That that manas gets transformed, not to be the small me, the small ego. It's not about me. So when we we encounter the world in this free and open way, without adding to all our experiences by conditioned thinking and conditioned ways of our thought patterns that get us into trouble all the time, right? <laughs> then that's transformation. Then we transform our consciousness. That's a, you know, this is like a, a, a four volume question you asked. So there, <laughs> there are, if you, if you want to, there are, there are things that you can read about transforming the mind, uh, particularly Thich Nhat Hanh, Understanding Your Mind, which talk about our minds and how our, how our, how our minds work and how we, can, how we can be with those minds and transform those minds. Thank you.
Kabir, would you like to unmute yourself and ask your question, please? Yes, good morning. Hi, Jerry. Hi. Thank you. Hi. So I have one question that is sort of related to Linda's question. Um, sort of like that concrete self that we think we are, and you explained that it's not permanent. But how can we sort of like get out of that funk? And also, <laughs> also you mentioned something about the ego, which I sort of agree because there's a healthy ego and then there's the, the harmful. But the, between the two, there's this the, the, sort of like a gray area that we're not sure that if we're being egoistic or being harmful or being helpful, because sometimes certain things that the ego does, it does sort of sounds helpful or it does, but it turned out not. So how do we, how do we not go there? Or how do we just see what I mean? So those are the- Well, the well I mean, it's really about, sometimes it's about noticing in your body what's going on. Noticing where you feel things. How does it feel when you're trying to gain something? Usually, if you're really trying to gain something, there's some place in your body that's that's going to give you a clue, right? And when you're just giving generously and you're compassionate, there's there, there for me there's an openness, you know, there's a relaxation. If you can just act in the moment from some intuitive place that you start. And I asked, I remember asking Sojin one time, "Well, what about this? You're always talking about intuition." You know, does that mean that someday if I practice enough, I'll just know the right thing to do all the time? <laughs> and he said, I was, I was relieved to, that he said no. He said, you, you go, you, you, look, you look at what's going on, you feel what's going on, you assess the situation, you do the most skillful thing you can do at the time, and then you see what happens. <laughs> so so you and then then after a while you get to you get to get a feeling in your body in your in really it's really almost a body mind experience of no separation there's a something called for i need to respond there's something i'm there's some somebody expressing something to me I want to respond with the intention of helping them wake up. So always looking at the intention. What, what is my intention here? And if you have an encounter and then later on you realize you didn't do so well, <laughs> it's like, well, how did that go wrong? You know, was that me? Was that the other person? Was that both people? You know. There's usually not a, you know, there's sometimes there's a clear right and wrong, but mostly there's two people doing their best and who, who get into it. But so, so it's really that way. It's, it's, it's very intuitive. There's no, for me to say, this is how or what, you know, it's also for you to recognize, are there some ways you can remind yourself sometimes when you know you fall into an egocentric pattern, some trigger you can do to yourself to stop yeah. That was that was my third question. <laughs> How to <laughs> right? Uh, so I guess it comes down to intention and mindfulness or just Yeah. Uh, what I find is 
anytime that I'm away from the Sangha a little longer than I need to be, it, the old patterns start to come stronger. You know, so um, I think we need the Sangha all the time, mm-hmm. no matter what. So, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you. Um, I'm going to just uh, give you something that came to me in the chat. Um, A big thank you to Jerry for her talk. Sitting this morning allowed me to get a bit outside of the continual self-criticism worry and notice that as a habit, which I mistakenly understand as me or myself, big suffering from that. Ah, (laughs) self-judging. Any time we judge ourselves, judge ourselves in that critical way, um, it usually means there's something to take care of. Um, There's something I'm not paying attention to in my life, in my practice. I have to remind myself uh, that I, I'm Buddha. <laughs> I am Buddha. I, I, I can be with the mind of Buddha. I can be kind to myself. I think one of the most important things that we need to do, and I've been, you know, we've been studying um, the format Buddhist, Bodhisattva's four methods of guidance on Wednesday nights, and. You know, every time we talk about giving, um, we talk about, and this, and it came up in here. It came up in this, in this text today. We have to be, we have to give to ourselves. We have to take care of that, that person who's judging and the person who's being judged. We have to do what it takes for that. So sometimes that's a certain kind of practice that we, that we need to do, but we need to be curious about it not 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 take not believe it not believe it you're not you know we're sometimes we're our worst critics you know we can't not to believe what our mind is saying but to look into it and to be curious and to find out where did it come from and to be with the question where did that come from and then to practice giving to ourselves and being patient, patience always. Because with a dedicated practice, you you will wake up. Look what Shanti Davis said, all these wonderful things. <laughs> if you just stop and be in the moment. So be kind to yourself, take care of yourself. And I believe this will be the last question. Nathan Britton, if you would like to unmute yourself and ask your question. Um, my question has to do with the text, which I, I don't, I can't refer to it. I don't have it in front of me, but this is from memory. But if I remember correctly, it said that we arise, arise Bodhi mind by beginning with impermanence. Mm-hmm. And I guess my question has to do with how we conceive of impermanence. I, I frequently will 
undertake thought experiments like thinking in geologic time or um, uh, imagining the cells and the oxygen that are making up my body and the way in which my body on a molecular level is constantly changing and, and transforming. Um, but I don't think that that's necessarily the point. Th those seem like intellectual exercises. And I'm asking, right. is there- What a, a pity, he said, what a pity. <laughs> is, there, um, is there a way that we might experience or um, invoke that, in, that um, impermanence that isn't an intellectual exercise that- um, Well, that, that's really what we, that's really the essence of Zazen practice because uh, when we sit and start our breathing, and sometimes we, um, we do, as uh, Sojin would always recommend doing Zazen instruction, noticing your body, noticing the different parts of your body. Are you, what's your posture? And breathing in and noticing your breath as it comes and goes. Even that is, is, is being with impermanence. Even noticing your body is being with impermanence because it's never gonna be the same. We say, don't move. And as Sojin said, everybody moves. You know, We have an ache here, we have an ache there. Why did this feel comfortable yesterday? And it's, now it's horrible. Gee, I wonder if I should get up. You know, all these things we feel, um, we feel aware moment to moment. You know, if you start just being aware of what's going on and not in your head, but in a bigger, in your small, in your small mind, but in a, in a bigger field where if you, everything's going on. I mean, if I, sometimes it's really hard because we have a lot of construction going on in our neighborhood. So there's always trucks coming and going and hammering starting and stopping. And, you know, and, and I can get upset about the hammering, right? Uh, and, and think I'm gonna call those people. <laughs> Why did they start so early? And then I just, after a while say, oh, hammering. Oh, hammering. Oh, trucks. Oh, light. Oh, dark. Oh, 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 cold. Oh, hot. Oh, pain. Oh, comfort. That's noticing. That's that's noticing impermanence. You don't have to be anywhere special. You can do it anywhere. You can go sit and look at a body of water, and you're studying impermanence. Just being with the ocean. Being. Being with a young child, <laughs> that's impermanence with a capital I. Um, <laughs> there's, there's, no way, there's no way to not be an impermanence. It's recognizing that we are. Just lost my robe here. <laughs> with my just, I'm, I'm, I'm Italian, I gesticulate. <laughs> and I could judge myself for it, but it's just me. <laughs>